35 years of pastoral experience, and he speaks and he travels all over the world. And some of my favorite messages have been messages that he's preached. He certainly has preached at General Conference. He's preached at Missouri District Conference. Um, I've watched things online like many of you. Uh, it was funny. A couple of you came up to him and said, you don't have a clue who I am, but I feel like I know you because I watch you online all the time. And so our Ignite services, I mean, we've had Brother Daniel Bernard, Brother Raymond Woodward. We've had just incredible, and Sister Kendra Lex. I mean, like, they are, you guys are blessed. But so are we because we usually have them stay over for Sunday, too. And so, uh, so really, you guys got me this, and this was very nice, whatever's in here. However, I already got myself a birthday gift on the church. And that is, I scheduled Brother Woodward on my birthday weekend, because I was like, happy birthday to me. Because someone was asking me my favorite speakers, and I was like, man, it's tough to put them in order, because, you know, I think about the Brother Gleason, Brother Gurley, and Brother Anthony Mangan, and, and some, of my, some of my favorite speakers in the world, Brother Jason Sisko, and definitely... 100% top five, if not number one, is Brother Raymond Woodward. And so I just love the way he dives into the Word and he explains it. And he's just a great, great person to chat with too. And so we're just so, so thankful and so blessed, especially me, to have Brother Raymond Woodward just come and just deliver the Word of God and what God's laying on his heart. So would you mind just one more time standing for the man of God as he approaches this pulpit? Praise the Lord, everybody. Isn't it awesome to be here today? And I'm really glad I got to be with uh, all of you on such a special weekend. And uh, I'm very grateful for the way you've honored your pastor today, because I just think he's a super guy. I really do. <clears throat> Um, it's, it's so important, your relationship with your church. The Bible uses the word church a lot in the New Testament. Only two times does the word church in the New Testament refer to the church universal, the church around the world. Every other time the New Testament uses the word church, it's the local church. It's a local body of believers in Ephesus or Corinth or Thessalonica or wherever. And they work together and they live life together. And they love one another and they encourage one another. They exhort one another. They lift one another up. That's the beauty of the local church. The local church, the church that you choose to be part of, in my opinion, is your second most important spiritual decision for you and your family right after your decision to serve God. And in choosing this church and being under the leadership of this wonderful pastor and his wife, my goodness, you've made a stellar decision because you've got stellar leadership in this church. Aren't you grateful? Amen. So happy birthday, pastor.
I'm just glad somebody is catching up to me because I'm starting to feel older. You know, I preached a youth convention just a few uh, weeks ago, and I mention that because it's good for my ego. Um, but I got the call like I always get the call. You know, they call and they say, Brother Woodward, would you come and speak at our youth convention? This one happened to be one out in, in California. Would you come and speak at our youth convention? And for just a split second, it runs through my head. Woodward, you still got it. And then they follow up every single time with this. We want to hear the voice of the elders. And I just want to punch them through the phone. It's just not right. It's just not right. It's a joy to be here today. Let me read a scripture and uh, then we'll pray and let you be seated. First Samuel chapter 17. Uh, we were kind of stuck a little bit around this passage yesterday and... Uh, we're going to flesh it out a little bit today. 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah. And they pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And I want to preach to you for a little bit today uh, around that passage of Scripture, very famous battle in Scripture. Would you lift up your hands, and most importantly, your voice, and fill this room with prayer and praise to God? Open your heart to him and to his word today. Oh, Jesus, we are not resistant to your word. We are receptive to your word. Oh, lift up your voice, church, and just fill this room with praise. Itala <laughs> Jesus, let your will be done here today. Let your kingdom come here today. Let lives and destinies be altered. Let eternities be altered today. Oh God, we worship you today, Jesus. We worship you today, Jesus. This is a worship and pray in church that you are part of. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Now, all of those kids that just left us in a blaze of glory, they were pretty excited to go to church today, weren't they? Isn't that beautiful? I hope all you old people, some of whom are having birthdays, I hope you're just as excited about church today. Isn't it great to be in the presence of the Lord? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. Pastor, thank you forever for the opportunity and the honor of being here today. Judah was first a man, then a tribe, then a territory, and finally a kingdom. The word Jew comes from Judah. And so Judah forever associates God's people 
with Judah's land. The city of Jerusalem has been called the capital of the land of Judah ever since ancient times. And because Jacob called this son, Judah, his boy, he called him a young lion in Genesis 49. The lion of the tribe of Judah has been used as a symbol of Jerusalem for many years. And in the New Testament, that same title of strength and authority is also transferred to the one who died and was buried and rose again in Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is now our lion of the tribe of Judah. It's amazing. You know, in John's grand vision at the end of the scripture, the book of Revelation, he looks and he, he sees something that's powerful. Revelation 5 and verse 5, he's weeping because of everything that is coming on the earth, but he's weeping because there's a book with seals and nobody has the authority to open it. And John instinctively knows that in that scroll that is sealed up are the judgments that will vindicate God's people. And one of the elders said to me, John writes, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Once again, it's Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, John turns to look at the lion, and guess what he sees? He sees a lamb. And that lamb, we know, is the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. So Jesus is good enough to offer himself as a lamb sacrificed for our sins. His blood shed for the remission and redemption of our lives. But don't ever forget, this lamb is also a lion. He has power and he has authority like you cannot believe. He's amazing. Now Judah was the fourth son of Jacob and Leah in the book of Genesis. Her mother named her first three sons according to her circumstances. Her firstborn was Reuben. And she named him Reuben. Reuben means behold a son. And here's what she said when he was born. Because back in those days Jacob... Uh, he had two wives in particular uh, if for this story. He had Rachel and he had Leah. And Leah knew that she was not the favored wife. And so she was bitter about that. And so when she had Reuben, she named him, Behold, a son. And here's what she said. Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. He gave me a son before he gave Rachel a son. Now therefore... Surely my husband will love me. And life continued on, and Leah's circumstances didn't change. And so she had a second son. His name was Simeon. She named him Simeon because Simeon means God has heard. And she said this when that second boy was born, because the Lord has heard that I was hated, and he has therefore given me this son also. I'm keeping score. And I have two boys, and she doesn't have any. And then she had a third son, and she named him Levi. Levi means joined or connected. 
And she said when that third boy was born, Now surely this time my husband will be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Leah named her first three sons according to her circumstances. But then she had a fourth boy. And the fourth boy was named Judah. And she named him Judah, which means praise. And she said, now I will praise the Lord. She named her first three sons according to her circumstances. She named her fourth son praise. She named her fourth son Judah because she had finally overcome her circumstances. It's a powerful thing when you're just living an ordinary life, going to work, paying your bills, raising your family, but you can praise God in spite of your circumstances. You can praise Him through your circumstances and over top of your circumstances. The scripture settings right here, Genesis 29 and verse 35. And she conceived again, this is the fourth time, and she bare a son and she said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah, which means praise, and she left bearing. It wasn't children that were going to fulfill her anymore. It was praise unto God. She learned to praise God despite and in the middle of her circumstances. You know, worship is a funny thing because worship is an old word. Yes, it's a Bible word, but it's not just a Bible word. Worship happens in all kinds of false religions. And to be quite honest, worship happens in every kind of arena of life, whether people are religious or not. You see, they don't call it worship, but it is worship when they have heroes, when they have sports stars, when they have movie stars and celebrities, or even when they have certain people that within their local sphere of influence, they're jealous of, they're envious of, they're trying to be like them, they wish that they had the same blessings, they had the same perks, privileges as somebody else. What you're really doing is you're deflecting worship from where it belongs, and you're putting your worship on something else. And you will worship something because God created us to be worshipers. You were not created to just be a little island unto yourself. You are actually quite dependent on God. I know the current school of thought is we don't need God. That's just a crutch for religious people. Uh, you try going a day without sunlight, air, and water, and you'll find out how quickly you need God anytime. God created you not just to need him in the physical realm. God created you to need him in the spiritual realm as well. You were born to be a worshiper. You were not born to be a drug addict. You were not born to shoot stuff into your veins. You were not born to be an alcoholic. You were not born to find yourself on a sidewalk somewhere trying to eke out a life with nothing. But let me say something. Most of us, that's not our background. You were also not born to live an empty life, climbing your way up a corporate ladder. Yeah. 
You were not born to get the corner office with the windows and get a position higher than everybody else and then feel smug until somebody else comes along and you get demoted or downsized and then your life caves in. You were not created to live your life scrounging and scratching for more money, more possessions, more toys, more positions. See, you, that's worship. You're trying to achieve something that is so very meaningful and so very important to you. People worship their bank accounts. People worship their possessions and their homes. People worship all kinds of strange things because you were born to be a worshiper. But you weren't born to worship all of that. You were born to have a worship relationship with your Creator, with Almighty God. That's what feels different about a church family. That's what feels different when you walk in a room like this and you've got all these people living in the same direction. And when we get together and we worship, it's powerful. And so Leah learned that in the birth of her fourth son, Judah, and that's why she named him Praise. And it's significant that uh, the, the name Judah, it, it traces through the Old Testament. Judges chapter 1 and verse 1, when they're conquering the promised land. Now after the death of Joshua came to pass, they've still got some battles to fight to conquer territory. It came to pass, the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. God said, you send Judah in first. And if you send Judah in first, then everything's going to fall out okay. Judah means praise. God was giving us a principle that when you've got a battle to fight, you send praise ahead of you. You send praise in first. You send worship up front. You give God worship number one, and then everything else falls in place. Many years later, there was a king in power named King Jehoshaphat. If you're expecting and you're looking for names, there's one, Jehoshaphat. Mm, yeah, there are some good names in the Bible. That's probably not one of them. But anyway, under the reign of King Jehoshaphat, there was a battle where they sent in people to go against the enemy. It wasn't the soldiers of Judah that went in this time. It was the singers of Judah. This is not a good battle strategy. We're going to put the tenors and the altos and the sopranos at the front of the army. No weapons. They're just going to go sing. Those were probably some nervous singers that day. But when they sent in the singers of Judah, the singers of the tribe of praise, they defeated three impossibly large armies that had assembled to destroy them. The children of Ammon, the children of Moab, the children of Mount Seir. Three armies ganged up against them and God spoke to Jehoshaphat and said, you send in the singers of my praise first. And as God's holy people shouted and praised their invincible God, he threw the enemy's armies into confusion and he caused them to turn on each other and they slaughtered one another. And you know what their battle cry was? It wasn't charge. It wasn't remember the Alamo. Sorry, Texas. 
their battle cry that day was praise the Lord. And when they lifted up praise to God, and when they sent praisers and worshipers in first, it turned the tide. For Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed not soldiers, singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, here's your battle cry, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Again, God's teaching us it's everywhere in the Word of God that when you've got pushback, when you've got tension, when you've got problems, when you've got enemies, when you've got opposition, when you've got tough circumstances, see, we want to send everything else in first. But God said, try this, send praise in first. And when you send praise in first, the battle changes. So here, here's, it's so simple today. But the battle that you face right now, I don't know your battle because I don't know most of you. But I've been a pastor for four decades, so I know something about people having battles. And a lot of people have battles. You know, there's, there's some people, you know, if they have the battle of the stubbed toe, everybody in the church knows about it. I mean, they, they can make drama and trauma out of almost anything. And the worst thing you can do with that particular person, and, and they're not here today, they don't exist in this church, but in Canada, if you don't have any here, we'll ship you some. Postage paid, we'll send them, because we've got some. The, the worst thing you can do is just say a simple question. How are you? That's worth an hour with some people. They can give you chapter and verse and sad song after sad song about everything they've been going through. You know, but there's other people that they can go through deep valleys and dark nights of the soul. And, and we come to church with them and we hardly even know. You know, they're, they're, it's not just that they're, they have a tough human constitution. It's that they have a huge trust in God. And so even though they're battling it out privately, battling it out personally, battling it out, they've got stuff going on in their family that if you knew, you'd cry tears for them because it's so rough. But you know why they're not collapsing? It's because they've learned in life when the battle comes at you, the battle's not really over that circumstance you're facing. The battle is whether you're going to continue to give praise to God and put Him first. That's the real battle. That's the real battle. The battle's over your praise. God wants your praise. The devil wants your praise. The world wants your praise. Let me tell you something else, social media generation. Your flesh wants your praise. Your flesh loves to get on Facebook and post your... your, your have, have you ever taken like 48 family pictures and only one was even decent? Guess which one makes it to Facebook? Every single time. Because your flesh wants a little bit of praise. But only one person can have your praise. If the devil and the world and the flesh can't have it, then they want to shut down your praise altogether so that God doesn't get it. 
And that's what apostolic people have figured out, that no matter what happens, God is going to get my praise. Storms may rise and waves may crash and winds may blow, but God is going to get my praise first and foremost. I may have so many questions that my headaches. I may have so many issues and problems that I've got all kinds of confusing details to try to figure out. But I figured out one thing. At the top of my priority list today is God gets praise no matter how much I feel bad, no matter what's turned against me, no matter what my mind is wrestling with. Today, number one, God gets the praise praise out of my life because the battle is over my praise. So I'm going to send praise in first. Oh, I wish you'd just do that one more moment. Yes, yes. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Now, I don't want to do bait and switch with you today. I don't want to do bait and switch. This is not some gimmick. If you just praise God hard enough and long enough and loud enough, your circumstances will turn around instantly. I can't guarantee that. But I can guarantee this, that if you'll praise God consistently enough in your life, that God will take you through those circumstances. And you'll come out a victor on the other side. You see, people get in the storms of life for different reasons. Jonah got in a storm because he was out of God's will. But, you know, Paul got in a storm because other people on the boat were out of God's will. Paul said, let's not set sail. God said we shouldn't. And they said, no, we're going to. And they got in a storm. In fact, a shipwreck. Paul got in that storm because other people were out of God's will. And you know why the disciples got in a storm? Jesus said, let's go to the other side. So they get in the boat, pack a lunch, head to the other side. And in the middle of the lake, they get in the storm of their lives. They got in a storm because they were in the middle of God's will. You can get in storms for different reasons. So I can't guarantee that if you pray, uh, praise God loud enough, and long enough, and hard enough, that all of a sudden everything's going to come up roses. But I can guarantee you on the authority of God's word that God will get you through your circumstances. Sometimes he saves us out of our circumstances. That's wonderful when he delivers us out of our circumstances. And we testify about that. We love those stories. But do you know what? It's just as powerful when God delivers us in the midst of our circumstances. That's what happened to those three Hebrew boys. They got thrown into a fiery furnace. And God did not save them out of the fire. They still had to go into the fire. They still had to wait right up to the very last second. They did not know what God was going to do that day. They had no sweet clue. For all they knew, they were going to be burned to a crisp in that inferno. But here's what they looked at that pagan king and said, O king, our God is able to deliver us. And here's what they said in faith. And he will deliver us. One way or the other, he's going to deliver us out of your hand. You don't get the final word over my life. He's getting us out of your hand one way or the other. If we burn to a crisp, we're out of your hand, king. And God had his will.
But if God brings us out of the fire, we're going to be out of your hand as well because you're going to know there's a God that you can't mess with. But, but see, that's wonderful. But here's the point of faith. O king, our God is able to deliver us and he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, if he doesn't do it the way we think he should, if he doesn't deliver us at the moment we think he should, but if not, we still will not bow to your idol and we still will not give worship to you. Our worship belongs only to God. They knew it. The battle is over your praise. And that's why praise as a principle of spiritual warfare is everywhere in the word of God. It's so important. Psalm 18, rapid fire here. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Watch this. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. How do you get saved from your enemies? When I praise God who is worthy to be praised. You know this one, Psalm 22. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. When you worship God, he lives in that praise. That's why it's so important that you realize that every day your praise, your worship doesn't belong to your next accomplishment. It doesn't belong to friends that you want to impress. You, you should give your best to God every day. You know this one, Psalm 100, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with? Praise, be thankful unto him and bless his name. Literally, your praise is like the key into God's presence. It's like the password for all you computer people. It's like the password that lets you in to God's presence. When you praise him, it opens up things in the supernatural realm. Psalm 113, from the rising of the sun under the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Now, that was written by inspiration of God. So in the ancient world, they would think that the sun literally rises on one side, goes across the sky, and sets on the other. But the Bible is never anti-science. The Bible wrote things that were profound years before we ever discovered that they were true or real. That's still happening today all the time. So this isn't talking about a physical rising of the sun in the sky. This is literally talking about the orbit of the sun and the earth around the sun and all of that stuff. So here's how it looks from us. And this is why even with our scientific understanding, we still every day talk about the time of sunrise and sunset. It's from our perspective. So that's why the Bible's totally accurate when it says that from the rising of the sun, from our perspective, until the going down of the same. But we know from science that the earth is still orbiting the sun. So the sun actually didn't go down and disappear. Somebody else is experiencing sunrise and sunset while we're in our little beds and we're gone to sleep. Yeah. So here's what I know already today. 
There are other regions of the world that have already had their chance to worship and praise God today. They've already gone before us and they've had their chance. The believers in Singapore and Australia and China and India and Pakistan, they've already had their chance to worship God. But guess what? When the sun comes up in my world, when the sun comes up in my time zone, that's my cue, that number one priority today, I need to be given worship and praise to God. From the rising of the sun in my life, in my perspective, in my time zone, in my day, until the time it goes down, the name of the Lord is going to be praised. If nobody else praises him, I declare that the name of the Lord is going to be praised. If nobody else at my school worships God, in fact, if they curse his name all day long, I declare that today the name of the Lord will be praised. If nobody else serves God at my job, I still declare that today from the... From the rising of the sun under the going down of the same, I declare that wherever I am, the name of the Lord is going to be praised. And you know this one, Psalm 34. The psalmist says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. How do the humble hear thereof? Well, I won't stop talking about it. That's how they hear thereof. And then he invites us all. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. When you magnify God with your worship, it's the same as when you magnify an, off, an, an, an object with a magnifying glass. You didn't make the object bigger. Your perspective changes because of what you're doing in relation to the object. When you magnify the name of the Lord by lifting him up in praise, you're not making God one bit bigger, one bit smarter, one bit stronger, one bit more eternal, or one bit more glorious. You can't do that. God already is more powerful, more glorious, more eternal, more magnificent than you could ever list in a thousand lifetimes if you talk for a thousand lifetimes. So when you magnify the Lord, you did not make him bigger. But when you magnify the Lord, your perspective on God changes. And as you begin to lift him up and worship him, all of a sudden your problems start to shrink and your circumstances start to shrink and you realize that this God that I'm worshiping, he has the answer to my problems. And so I tell you again, the battle is over your praise. The battle you're facing is not about what you think it is. It's over your praise. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. It's not the first book because the books are grouped. Job's is grouped with, with the poetry books. But Job is the oldest book in the Bible. The events of the book of Job happen somewhere between Genesis 11 and 12, about the time Abraham is leaving Ur of the Chaldees to follow God to find a promised land. That's about the time that Job lived. And it, it stands to reason that the oldest book in the Bible would be a book about pain and suffering. Because those are the problems that really hurt us as human beings. And so Job gets in the middle of his problems. 
Uh, Job is, is quite a unique book, and it's, it's a very depressing book. If you're going to read it, read it all the way to the end so we don't find you out on a bridge somewhere wanting to jump off. <laughs> read it all the way to the end. Job gets in the middle of his problem. Well, first, he loses everything. His kids die. He loses his possessions. He loses his crops, which is his livelihood, his livestock, his livelihood. And then his own wife turns against him. And she, she's so overwhelmed by all the problems they're facing. She says, why don't you just curse God and die, Job, and get it over with? Because God's turned against us. Everything's upside down. We're losing everything, Job. We might as well give up. That's her perspective. Job has no idea what's going on. He's tried to be faithful. He's been a man who prays and builds altars and makes sacrifices and prays for his family. He's really been an amazing man. And he has no idea why this battle has unleashed in his life. And then his friends show up. To, to this day, we still call friends that are awkward friends, we still call them Job's comforters to this day. Job's friends show up and they sit all around him and they stare at him for like days. They don't say a word. And then when they do open their mouth, it gets worse because they start accusing Job. Well, Job, you must have sinned, buddy. Job, you must have done something wrong because God's obviously pretty mad at you that he would let all this happen. And Job has no defense. What do you say when you don't understand? What do you say? And, and so Job, he basically keeps talking and he says, you know, I don't know what's going on. All I know is I wish I'd have died before I was ever born. This is so much pain. This is so much hurt. This is so much loss. This is so much disappointment. See, Job has no idea because Job never got to read the book of Job. <laughs> Job has no idea that what started his battle was a conversation between God and the devil. That the devil said to God, God, you're like the mafia. Yeah, Job serves you. You know why he serves you? Because you bless him. You're like the mafia. You get payback from Job, you give him something. But if you take away everything from Job, God, he will curse you to your face. Job didn't know about that conversation. Job never got to read the book of Job. And so God said to Satan, you can take everything, but you can't take his life. And so the devil started attacking Job. He took everything away from him. God allowed the devil to move in and strip every blessing and every possession away from Job until Job is sick in his own body. His body is covered with boils. He's sitting on a dung heap trying to scratch himself with a shard of pottery, just trying to get some relief from the pain. And his wife is saying, just give up and curse God and get it over and die because we can't keep on living like this. And in the middle of his trouble and his trial, Job, he came to a realization. When nobody else had any answers, he came to this realization. Though God slay me, I'll still trust him. I can't explain why he would allow this. I can't explain why I'm walking through this, but I, I can tell you this, that even if God kills me, I'm gonna go out praising his name. Even if I die in agony, my last breath will say, 
This pastoring business is a funny kind of a life. You know, you, you pastor people and it seems like little tiny things get them so messed up. And then you pastor other people. I've walked into hospital rooms where people were dying. And I went in to try to minister to them. And I came out of there feeling like I was walking on cloud nine. Whew. My own dear mother-in-law, Carlotta, she's a sweetheart. She died of cancer several years ago in Beverly. And I were in that hospital room. She went out of this world saying, I love you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. She didn't understand it. We didn't understand it. But we gave God praise in the middle of it. Earlier this year, our church lost a wonderful lady named Charlene. You know, I've always said for years, when I get to heaven, I got a list of questions for Jesus. I really do. It's like, why did you take this one? I've got a list of people you should take. <laughs> Why'd you take her? I want you to take him. God doesn't pay much attention to my list. And then Jesus said to his disciples, you remember this in the Gospel of John, he said, in that day, you shall ask me nothing. <laughs> yeah, he always wins. He said, in that day, when you get to heaven and you see all the splendor, you're not going to ask me any questions. Instantaneously, you'll realize something. It was worth it to serve God. So back to Job, I'm sorry. Uh, just that was a rabbit trail, but back to Job. So Job's in the trial of his life. And he says, if God kills me, I'm still going to praise him. And then he says this, and this to me summarizes the whole book of Job. He said, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Here's what Job said to his friends. I can't tell you when I'm getting out of this trial. I can't tell you when it's going to be over. I can't tell you when I'm going to have my health back, when I'm going to get my possessions back. I can't tell you when I'm coming out of this trial. But watch me. Let me show you how I'm going to come out of this trial. Whatever day I get my healing, whatever day I get my victory, whatever day the enemy goes away, I shall come forth as gold. Let me show you. I can't tell you when I'm coming out, but let me show you how I'm coming out. I'm I'm not coming out backslidden and bitter. I'm coming out with a praise on my lips to God. When he's tried me, when it's over, when it's done, watch me, devil. I'm coming out as gold. Oh, my. Oh, my, 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 my. Whew. Let me come to a close. We're coming in for a landing. I just don't know where the airport is. So, but we're getting ready. Okay, here we go. The battle is over your praise. So back to the text that we started with. The Valley of Elah. On this day, the Philistines have gathered their armies to battle. The Bible says they've gathered in Ephesdamim, that means bloodshed. Between Shoko and Azika, that means hedged in and fenced in. 
And they faced the Israelites across the valley of Elah. There's no way out. It's going to be a bloodbath, and only the stronger army will survive. And Goliath literally stands in the territory of Judah, the Bible says. And he dares someone to fight him. And they are fighting to decide who's going to own that territory. Goliath literally stands in the land of Judah and says, If I win here today, you have to serve me. But if you win here today, I have to serve you. 1 Samuel 17 and 9. And if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall you be our servants and you'll serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And of course, that's when young David walks out on that battlefield on the 40th day. The battle is not over what you think it's over. The battle is over your praise. Goliath literally stood in the midst of Judah. Judah means praise. Goliath stood in the middle of the territory of praise. And he said, if I conquer you in the territory of praise, then you're going to have to bow to me. But if you conquer me in the territory of praise, I have to bow to you. You know this story. We referenced it yesterday. It wasn't King Saul. It wasn't any of his highly trained soldiers who stepped up to fight Goliath that day. It was a kid named David who had no formal battle experience. But David actually had the home field advantage as long as he was standing in the territory of Judah because for years, young David had been a praiser. So he was on home court. He was on home field. He was standing in the territory of praise, and he'd honed those skills well. Goliath was defeated by a praiser in the middle of a valley. The odds were against David, and it wasn't just Goliath and the Philistines who mocked him. His own army, his home team mocked him. They didn't think that he could ever do it. But David won the battle for Judah. He won the battle for praise Because he knew how to praise his way through that valley. And that didn't stop even when David became king. It didn't stop even when his own wife, Michael, was embarrassed and offended by his dancing before the Lord. That's a weird story. David's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. It's been a captive and then it's been just set aside for years. Saul never looked for the Ark the whole time he was king. David was king about five minutes and he started saying, where's the Ark of the Covenant? We got to go get the Ark. We can't have a kingdom without the Ark. We can't have God in our midst without the Ark. And he brings the Ark back. And Michael, his own wife, stands up in a window overlooking the street below, David dancing before the whole nation. And she's embarrassed because his praise is so exuberant. And she criticizes him. And David has this to say to her, 2 Samuel 6. David said unto Michael, it wasn't for you. One old cranky lady walked out of a church service one morning. 
I know there's none in Liberty, Missouri, but if you need a cranky old lady, we'll send you one. I got three or four. This old cranky lady, she walked out of church one Sunday morning. She said to the pastor, I didn't like the worship. He said, good, it wasn't for you. David said to Michael, it wasn't for you. It was before the Lord, which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord and over Israel. Therefore, will I play before the Lord. You can't stop me. The enemies can't stop me. My circumstances can't stop me. Criticism can't stop me. I'm going to worship God. And then he says this, and I will yet be more vile than thus. Literally, if you think this is bad, I'll become more undignified and more worshipful and more excited and more enthused than you could ever imagine. I will yet be more vile than thus, and I will be base in my own sight. I will humiliate humanity to exalt deity. I will put down my flesh to exalt God. You said it was disgraceful that all of the maid servants of Israel were worshiping God alongside of me. But I say that of the maid servants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Do you know what happens? Praisers gravitate to praisers. Worshippers are attracted to worshipers. And when we get together, there's something so powerful that happens. Because the battle, brothers and sisters, is not over your diagnosis. The battle is not over your financial setback. The battle is not over the issues that you've had in your family. The battle is not over the tension that you're feeling in your home. The battle is over your praise. The devil is a fallen angel. He's a spirit being. He doesn't need your house. He doesn't need your car. He doesn't need your job. What he wants is your praise. He wants you to give him what belongs to God. He wants your thoughts. He wants your attention. He wants all of that every single day. In the meantime, you can turn it around by doing what Job said. Job said, I will worship God despite whatever happens to me. If he kills me, I'll go out praising. If he blesses me, I'm going to praise him. If I die, let me die worshiping God. If I live, watch me. I'm going to live worshiping God because the battle is over my praise. Stand with me, would you? This is such a wonderful church to respond to the presence of God. And I am so grateful. You can feel it. It's just like a little river bubbling under the surface right now. And we're going to release that. We're going to release prayer and praise and worship to God. Because in that river of worship and prayer and praise, healing flows in that river. And deliverance flows in that river. The Holy Ghost is outpoured in a river like that. The battle isn't over what you've been facing. The battle is over, will you give God praise in the middle of it? Because if you'll give God praise, praise is the key that unlocks deliverance in your life. 
before we come to the front. I hope everybody will join us. This is a church where everybody's included and nobody's excluded. So I hope everybody will join us. we got space prepared for us to come and pray as family today. But before we make a move, would you lift up your hands? Lift up your heart vertical. Lift up your words and your praise vertical. And just fill this building. There we go. That's the beginning of the river. That's the beginning of deliverance. That's the beginning of healing. When we get God's praise first, when we send Judah in first, when we send praise in first, that's the sign. That's the start. That's the root of the spring. That's the base of the river. Yes, yes, yes. There's something so beautiful and so powerful in this room today. Yes, God. I worship you until. I worship you in spite of. I worship you, God. Yes, yes. You, Jesus, I worship you, God. Would you step out of where you're standing? I hope everybody just just make a move toward God. I promise you, if you'll make a move toward Him, He'll make a move toward you. I promise you. Now when you get here, whether you're kneeling or seated or standing, here's what we're going to do. We're going to lift up our hands. And together we're going to begin to worship God. We're going to begin to praise Him. Those of you that are already here, if you just step a couple steps forward, do what Pastor said a little bit earlier. Just kind of get your toes up against the platform here. Let's make room for everybody that wants to come up the aisles. Thank you, Jesus. I have no idea what you're going through personally. I'm just a guest here. Maybe you're a guest here and you and I got to be here on the same day. And if so, I'm so delighted. But here's what I know. I've been in a lot of services where people started praising God and things turned around for them. Some of them instantly came out of their problem. Some of them were instantly healed. But let me tell you something else. Some of them, they didn't get an instant deliverance, but they still got deliverance because they were about ready to give up. They were about ready to turn around. But in that moment of worship, as their worship went up, God's deliverance came down and it gave them strength. I referred to it yesterday that in the very last chapter of the book of Job, the oldest book in the Bible, the Bible says this, God turned the captivity of Job at the moment that Job prayed for his friends. Something exponential happens when we pray together. So could I get everybody up here and everybody back through the audience? Could you connect with at least one person, maybe a couple? Either put your hand on their shoulder or, or if it's comfortable, take their hand and lift their hand with yours. And, and everybody praying for somebody. Everybody praying with somebody. Now lift up your voice and just worship God. Worship Him despite what you're walking through. Worship Him in spite of what you're facing at home. Worship Him in spite of the problem. Worship Him in spite of the fear. Worship Him in spite of the questions. Worship Him in spite of the doubt. 
God wants to touch you right now. In the name of Jesus.